It's August 14th, 2021. About 10 minutes past 8 in the morning. Didn't sleep worth a damn last night. This podcast, The Mountain Mysteries, has taken on its own life. It started late 2020. And I've told that story a thousand times. It's It was all about April Pennington and Timothy Stambo. My initial thought was to do two, three, maybe even four episodes, and that was going to be that, but since then it's taken on a life of its own. I'm not sure I really intended that to happen, but it that's what's happened. And if it helps people, then so be it. But it was shortly after that episode aired that something else grabbed my attention. I know it's going to sound crazy, and I don't know how it happened or why it happened, but it happened. I was doing research online about trying to find any information that I could that maybe Sharon didn't know who was April's mom or that, you know, was not as well known. And I came across the case of a young woman from Henderson County. She's a year younger than I am. She was uh, going to a a beach on the Ohio River, August 26, 1995. And that's when she went missing. She was abducted by somebody with a gun. Now, we know that because there was a person across the river with a telescope that allegedly saw the whole thing. This case has got more twists and turns and rabbit holes than most anything I've ever seen. It's... There was a lawsuit brought forth by Heather's mother against the authorities, the state police, and she won. Now we'll get into that too, but at this particular time of the recording, I'm getting ready to head to Manchester, Kentucky. My daughter and my son-in-law are in tow, and we're going to get to know Heather Teague, and we're going to get to know Sarah Teague, her mother. And we're going to try to get to know exactly what the hell happened to Heather Teague. A Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Heather Danielle Teague. She was born on the 25th of April, 1972 and grew up in the state of Kentucky. She was only 23 years old when she went missing. She had long brown hair, green eyes, and visibly flat feet, fallen arches. She was beautiful, five foot two. She weighed between 90 and 100 pounds soaking wet. Also, she had a gradually worsening curvature of the spine, or scoliosis. Now, all of this paints the picture of what a beautiful college girl looked like. But she was not just beautiful in her looks. Heather was a force, a loving force, that, at times, was to be reckoned with. She did excel in gymnastics and taekwondo. Her mother told the Mountain Mysteries that Heather was all she could never be. She was a golden oldest child, a sorority girl with a bright future ahead of her. Sweet, and kind, and definitely had a fire burning. It stands to reason that if you had a daughter, Heather Teague would be the shining example of who you'd want as that child. People loved and respected her. She had a way about her that could make you smile and feel like there was a bit more hope in the world because she was in it. And yet somehow, that everything would be okay in the end. Oh, If only that had been true. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is episode number 25. Heather's Coming Home. The Mountain Mystery of Heather Danielle Teague. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. I won't have 
There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan. It was on August 26, 1995, a hot and humid Kentucky day, that Heather was sunbathing on a small, somewhat secluded Newburgh Beach in Henderson County, Kentucky. It's on the banks of the Ohio River. This was a popular place for teens and young adults to hang out with friends. And it was on this day that there were several people there, but they were on the other side of the beach. Heather picked a spot to get some R&R and maybe clear a troubled mind. What could be on the mind of a 23-year-old with her whole life ahead of her, you may ask? Well, as we're about to find out, that would be a lot. It's not uncommon for people who are extraordinarily close to share things. Things such as thoughts, feelings, and at times even dreams. Shortly before her disappearance, Sarah, Heather's mom, had told us about a dream that they had both shared to some degree. Even early on, she left this little tape. And in this tape, she talks about a dream she had. And in this dream, she says, the sun is shining down on a dirt road, which Newburgh Beach is a dirt road. The sun was shining definitely August 26th. She said, and everything was black. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. And she said, I'm curious, really. That's what she says in the tape. So I think that she was accidentally ran over. Because the night this happened, I had a dream. And in this dream, I go into this barn. And there was like hay, straw, whatever. And I brush it away. And... uh, Ironically, there was a barn that burned on Newburgh Beach the week after she, after this happened. A barn literally burned. But uh, in in my dream, when I brushed the stuff off of her, there was a burlap bag, and I pulled the bag down, and she was, I mean, it evidently just had happened. Her eyes were still open, and her little uh, her left hand was under her chin. And her hair was all muddy or bloody, you know, but in the dream I looked up and I said, I found my baby. All too often, life is full of moments like those. And when we lose someone, we look back. And in astonishment, we wonder if there was something more that we could do. Something more that we could have done. And almost always, that answer is no. Well, life is full of its own little oddities and what we're about to tell you next oh well this is one of them it seems as though a man who lived across that very river the ohio river on the indiana side was at home and had a telescope that was pointed at newburgh beach in the exact spot where heather danielle teague had decided to work on her tan this witness was identified as tim wathall And he was observing the area with that telescope, and at approximately a quarter till 1 p.m., 12.45 p.m., he told authorities his account of what he saw. Walthall said that he was getting ready to eat when he looked out of his home telescope at the beach and saw something, something odd, something that shouldn't have been happening. The witness said that he saw a Caucasian male approach Heather, then allegedly grabbed her by the hair, showed her a gun, and dragged her back into the woods. Well, the witness described this man as being about six foot tall, weighing between 210 to 230 pounds. 
Well, he had brown hair and a bushy brown beard. Then, Wathall described the man as wearing jeans but no shirt, yet, oddly, wearing a mosquito knit as well. Wathall waited for about a half an hour to call 911. Why that long, you ask? Well, that's the question a lot of people had on their mind. He later came forward to say that he thought it was a joke that her boyfriend was playing, and he didn't think it was serious. Following her disappearance getting reported by him, authorities searched that beach area later in the day. The witness, Walthall, drove his boat across the river to meet the police, once they were on the scene, that is, and, well, it said that Tim was the first one to organize a search and rescue across the entire beach. He was also very present during the investigation. The police discovered a part of Heather's red plaid bathing suit near the alleged site of her abduction. While investigators also found additional evidence, nothing pointed them to Heather's whereabouts. Heather's not been seen or heard from since. It's said that Walthall was told to leave town after the disappearance because the press was being so harsh towards him. Well, Tim Walthall is said to have stayed in contact with the police during the investigation, though. Many people question why this man was watching the beach to begin with. Well, the public suggests ulterior motives, and you can imagine what those are. Search dogs could pick up Heather's scent on the beach, but they lost it at the edge of the woods. Police believe this means that she could have gotten into a car. When Tim Walthall called Kentucky State Police Dispatch, noting this from the call made available on YouTube and FBI reports, there are several things that are of interest. The witness stated that he first called Indiana Police, and we couldn't find any records of him ever making that call. The story he told the family changed later in the investigation. He originally told Heather's family that the abductor slowly crept down from the tree lines, whispered in Heather's ear while playing with her hair before he abducted her. But the official account is that the abductor ran down to Heather and yanked her up by the hair of her head. He initially stated that the abductor had bushy brown hair and a beard. When confronted with the fact that the main suspect, Marty Dill, was clean-shaved just weeks prior... Oh, well, now he changed his story to the abductor was wearing a brown wig and was wearing a mosquito net. Now, the mosquito net is important as Marty Dill was accused of raping a woman, later proven by DNA to have no involvement with that, and this woman's rapist was wearing a mosquito net over his head. The eyewitness called newspaper agencies angry that they had reported that he hesitated to call 911. Tim claims that he did not hesitate, but yet... He said in the 911 call that he had waited 25 minutes to call the Kentucky State Police. Oh, you can hear it for yourself. Here on the Mountain Mysteries is that 911 recording. And as far as we know, it's in its entirety. State Police, Dispatch Davis. Uh, yes, sir. I just called the Indiana State Police. I live in Newburgh, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was sitting at the dinner table, got to eat dinner, and I got a telescope. I live out right on the river. Mm-hmm. And I scanned the beach over straight across from the beach from the Lock and Dam. Mm-hmm. And there was a girl on the left-hand side of the trees down here, and she was sunbathing, and she was laying face down. And she had her top undone, and she was just bathing. And uh, I was looking back and forth across the beach, and I told Karen, I, and I said, you know, I just listened to her. I said, I, I, you know, I just looked at the beach. And about this time, a guy come running out of the trees on the left-hand side, and he ran down and grabbed her by the back of the head of the hair and jerked her up. And she grabbed the towel, and he, he, he walked her up in the trees, up on, in the riverbank over here. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching now for 25 minutes, and I ain't seen her come back. And all of her stuff still set down there on the beach. Where's she at on the beach, sir? She was, you know where the new lock dam is? The Newburgh Lock and Dam? Yes, sir. Uh, right straight on that big, long beach, and she's almost at the end of the lock wall on your side, on the Kentucky side. The end of the lock wall? Well, I'm at the end of the lock wall. I'm right straight across on the Indiana side where the, where the new lock wall ends. Mm-hmm. And she was right there at that end. Now, I swear this guy looked like he had a gun. He come down, he had a chrome plate. I could see it glistening in the sun. I mean, it looked like a revolver. And he snuck up behind her, and she was laying face down on the on the mat. And, he, and she had long hair, and he grabbed her by the head of the hair and raised her head up. 
and show her the gun, and then when she did, she stood up and she grabbed the towel that was laying there and she put it on top of her, and he marked her in front of him right up to the top of the trees. What did she look like? She was, uh, I didn't, I only had like a 25 on, on the scope, so she was, uh, she was Caucasian, and she was, uh, she had long, kind of brownish black hair. Mm-hmm. You mean long to her shoulder, to her uh, waist, or what? From over her back, probably. What color was her bathing suit? Uh, she didn't have a top on, but she had a bikini bottom on. It was kind of like a multicolored flower color. There's a lounge chair. Okay, hold, hold on, hold on, please. Okay, she had on a multicolored flowered bottom bikini. Yeah. And all her stuff's still here. It's been 20 minutes ago, and she ain't come back yet. He marched her up in the trees, and, and there were, at the time it happened, there was only one other group of people on the beach, and they were down the far right-hand end. What did he look like? He was kind of heavy set. Uh, he just had like a, a blue jean uh, cut-off pants on and tennis shoes. And it looked, I couldn't tell if he had a full beard or if he just had real shaggy hair and, or something over his face. But you couldn't what color is his hair, sir? Kind of a uh, dark brown. Was he white or black? He was white. White male? Yeah. And he had a gun with him? Yes, sir. Did he, he have a shirt on? Nope, no shirt. He had what appeared to be like it was a chrome plating because it kept glistening in the sun, you know what I mean? What's her stuff look like laying there on the beach? She's got a uh, lounge chair laying there, blue and white lounge chair, and her purse and stuff was laying to the left-hand side of it. And she picked her towel up with her when she left because she had it in front of her hiding her, her breast. And she walked up the beach. What did her towel look like? Uh, God, I don't know the towel. Light color, dark color. Kind of pinkish color, I think. And where did he take her to? There was the trees on the left-hand side, right up from where she was sunbathing. She was down this far end. He just walked right up in the trees, and they disappeared. I couldn't see them. And her stuff is laying on the beach next to the end of the wall? No, no, no. I'm at the end of the wall on the Indiana side. She's all the way across on your Kentucky side, just about where the end of the lock wall comes out, though. Okay, the wall doesn't come out over on the other side of Kentucky? No, it comes out on the Indiana side. Well, I'm not familiar with the dam. I don't know. Okay, no, I've never the been there. on the Indiana side. Uh, what's your name? Tim. And the last name's Walthall, W-A-L-T-H-A-L-L. W-A-L what? T-H-A-L-L. Your phone number? It's 853. And this is right across the beach from the dam. Yeah, but the, there's a beach on the on your side, on the Kentucky side. Yeah. Straight across from where the dam is. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a big party beach. Everybody goes over there all the time. So they, and she was kind of down to the far end of it, towards the, the dam end. Yeah. And uh, she was in pretty close to where some trees come out on the end of the, of the sand, or the, where the beach where the trees run out here. And she was just off to the right of that. And he would come out of the trees is where he came out of and walked over there and ran over there, actually. And, and she was laying face down, uh, sunbathing. Uh, with her belly down, and he snuck up behind her, grabbed her by the head of the hair, and raised her head up, and it looked to me like he showed her a gun. That's when I saw the gun glistening. Mm-hmm. And then she jumped up, and when she did, she grabbed the towel and put it in front of her. And then he walked with his hand straight out in front of her, by her and had her by the head of the hair in front of him, and he was walking. You could see the gun glistening in the, in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. And he walked her straight to the trees. And that's on the beach right across the river from the dam. Yes, sir. All right, sir. We'll have someone check it. I mean, I appreciate I mean, I, maybe there's nothing but the right, man. All right, sir. We'll have someone check it. All right. Thank you. Five, one, five. Show me 10, 15 one time with the mail, and we're out back to this old good. Tim. Henderson, two, five, eight. Go ahead. Have another complaint on Newburgh Beach, Brick. Go ahead. Complainant's calling from Indiana. He noticed a suspicious happening through his telescope on Newburgh Beach. Break. Go ahead. He advised on the beach across the river from where the dam is. You know where the dam is in the river and the wall comes out and right across the river from there on Newburgh Beach? He observed a white female who was sunbathing. She was laying there by herself. A white male came out of the woods, grabbed her by the hair of the head, pulled her up, and flashed what he thought was a gun at her, and then took her back up in the woods. Break. Go ahead. Her stuff is still laying on the beach. This has been approximately 30 minutes ago, and she hasn't returned. Uh, 
uh, he advised her belongings are laying on the beach across the river from the dam uh, next to where some trees tree line runs out on the beach uh, looks like she's got a blue and white colored lounge chair laying there and a purse beside of it uh, on description she's a white female brown hair about down to her waist wearing a bikini bottom multicolored flyered she had her top loosened when he grabbed her. She grabbed up a towel, light-colored towel, Brick. Go ahead. The subject he saw was a white male, kind of heavy set, wearing uh, no shirt, cut-off blue jeans and tennis shoes. Go ahead. Ten for him. I just drove through that area where the dam is. I didn't see one there, but I'll go back. Um, that Broadview subdivision in and out. Ten for a local pig farmer who was videotaping unrelated crop vandalism in that area on that day caught Heather's car and a red Ford Bronco just down the road from her car on camera. No, it's unclear if the Red Bronco was confirmed to be the same one that was related to Heather's abduction. A resident of Henderson County, Kentucky, a man named Marvin Marty Dill, was pulled over during a routine traffic stop following Heather's disappearance. His vehicle was, in fact, a red and white Ford Bronco, the same car that a witness reported as having parked beside Heather's at the beach. The eyewitness would help the police draw a composite sketch that would later match Marty Dill, on the same day of Heather's abduction, residents on the road where Dill lived heard screams coming from his trailer. During the traffic stop, authorities discovered a pair of guns, a pair of knives, a roll of duct tape, rubber gloves, rope, and a hair resembling Heather's. The truck also had bloodstains on the inside tailgate. And to make his possible involvement even more damning, the composite sketch made of Heather's abductor strongly resembled that of Dill. In August of 1995, investigators received multiple tips connecting Dill to Heather's disappearance. Following up on the tips, investigators arrived at his home for questioning. When they got there, Dill reportedly told his wife to vacate their residence once he learned of their presence on his property. Once she left, Dill promptly committed suicide by shooting himself in the head before authorities could enter his residence. Now, after his suicide, evidence was compiled by prosecutors against Dill, then brought before a grand jury. During this phase, Dill's wife called as a witness, soon invoked her Fifth Amendment right and refused to answer any questions regarding Heather's disappearance. Some believe that Dill did not kill himself and that someone was with him when the alleged suicide happened. This belief is supported by the fact that the police reported in the FBI reports concerning the suicide and house search do not completely match. It is reported that the angle of the gunshot that killed Marty would have been one that was too difficult for Dill to commit the act himself. The newspaper report during the time mentioned that Ernie Green was with Marty Dill at the time of his alleged suicide. Ernie Green was said to have been the one who ran out of the Dill's home to inform police that Marty had killed himself. Green had a bad reputation and an extremely violent personality. The newspaper article states as follows, quote, But the strongest indications that Dill had been involved in Teague's disappearance were the suicide threats he made to his wife Tracy, the KSP Post received several telephone calls, some of them anonymous, relating what Tracy Dill had told them of Dill's suicide threats. One anonymous caller said, quote, Tracy Dill advised him that her husband Marvin made her leave their home on John Steele Road and that he told her that the less she knew, the better, and that he did not want her involved in anything, and that when the cops came, he would kill himself. End quote. Some question if Marty Dill could have been the abductor as his hair did not match the composite sketch drawn by police. 
It was found that Marty Dill was clean-shaven at the time of Heather's abduction, and the eyewitness recounted the abductor having bushy brown hair and a beard. He was shaved during his time in jail just weeks before due to a lice outbreak in the facility. Jail records even state Marty as being bald, spelled with all capital letters, at the time of his release. The all capital letters thing, well, that will prove important coming up shortly. A picture just three weeks before Heather's abduction of Marty proves that there was, at most, some stubble on the top of his head. His mom has also vouched for the fact that he was shaved clean in the jail. It is said that his family was heavily shocked because when he went into jail, he did have bushy hair and a beard. But when he left in July, he was clean-shaven. Police dismissed the photo, saying that he must have had his hair pulled back but the photo looks as if he has longer hair around the sides and is completely bald on top. That is not bushy brown hair with a beard. The police led Sarah to believe that Marty was the abductor. I, I showed up, they asked me to come in and... and uh, you know, all the state police, and then here Tim Walthall is sitting there with an attorney named Eddie Jones. Well, they were trying to get me to sue Tracy Dill, you know, the widow. And, of course, like I say, I was by myself. I didn't know what in the world they were they were doing. I trusted, trusted this man. You know, like I say, he was always there. And then years later, I find out that Eddie Jones, Mike Heron, and... Uh, one of the senators, Mike Heron was the senator's son or brother. Anyway, they, and Paul Lloyd, they had all been busted for drugs. A lot of drugs. It was cocaine. So, you know, I'm thinking, why would Tim Wathall need an attorney to start with? And then, you know, the for it to be that big drug bust, you know, of course, it, like I say, it, it took four years before I realized that what he was telling me and I recorded him, you know, I started recording because, you know, little things like he said uh, he'd gone to the morgue to identify Marty Deal. And Marty Deal had chopped his hair off with scissors. Well, I met with Marty's mom, and she was like, Marty's head was shaved in Webster County Jail. They had, there was a lice outbreak, and Marty was, Marty's head was shaved, beard, everything. So, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, well, that's not what Tim said. So I confronted him about it, and uh, I remember he got really mad. You know, he was like, all I know is I went in the morgue, and, and uh, he was laying there, and he had chopped his hair all off. And, you know, at, when he first told me, I thought, what a horrible sight you had to have seen, you know, to go to the morgue. Well, come to find out, Marty didn't. He was already clean-shaven. And to this day, almost 26 years later, the state police will not acknowledge, with all the proof I have, I have jail records, which state B-A-L-D in capital letters, you know, on like three different arrest records. I've got all that. I've got, got all that. It said bald. Well, you know, I've gone through a lot of different captains and whatever, and I remember this uh, Robert Schultz. He said, uh, he said, oh, I'm sure they meant brown. And I was like, no. It says B-A-L-D. Okay, so I knew I had to, to dig deeper, so I met... Uh, Marty's sister-in-law, uh, Melissa Carter, and she told me the story of how she and Tracy Deal, the, the widow, had gone to the jail uh, probably, I don't know, about four weeks before Heather was, before he got out of jail, or probably not that long before he got out of jail, and that they were shocked that all of his beautiful curly hair and his beard were gone. They were shocked. Well, I learned even further that them saying that is not enough, so I had to get a written statement. So I've got written statements from the ex-sister-in-law, one of his best friends who took him to, and I've got the big sketch, I'll have to get that out and show y'all. Um, she took it the day he got out of jail, it was July the 15th of 95, this would have been six weeks before the abduction. He was totally bald, no beard nothing and he was like a big burly you know he was had had muscles so I got a statement from her got a statement from his mother I've got probably I don't know five or six statements from people that knew Marty was bald 
And like I say, to this day, the state police will not acknowledge that he was bald. So, what does Sarah think now about Marty Dill? What I think now, after all this time, I know he wasn't the man that took her. Mm-hmm. Or he wasn't, I mean, he was framed. It's obvious that he knew. When this sketch came out, which that's another thing, they wait four days. You've got an eyewitness describing somebody, and they wait four days before they do a sketch. And on day five, he ends up dying. He knew he was being blamed for the whole thing. He was not going to prison. See, that was another thing. Oh, he was this really bad guy. He was, he killed himself because he wouldn't go in prison. He grew 13 marijuana plants. He was in jail. He was not ever in any danger of going. And then they put this thing out uh, about that he had raped, raped this girl in the, the cemetery in Clay. I talked to her myself, and that's where the wig and mosquito netting came in. It's because she told me positively that the man that did this uh, had a mosquito netting, not a wig, just a mosquito netting. But because of this full head of hair, then the eyewitness had to, had to say, oh, he wig. must have wore a wig. Apart from Dill, another possible suspect in Heather's case is a man identified as Christopher J. Below. He's a native of Henderson County, Kentucky, and he pled guilty to attempted involuntary manslaughter in the connection to the 1991 shooting death of Catherine Fetzer, serving a prison sentence of 11 to 18 years. Now, although Fetzer's body is yet to be found, Below did confess and he pled guilty. But moreover, he's regarded as a suspect by many people outside of law enforcement in the involvement of the disappearance and murders of several other women, including Shailene Marie Farrell, Mary Cushto, and Christina Porco, though these suspicions are nothing more than theories. Investigators do believe that Below had attacked all these other women. Now, it might have something to do with the fact that they all greatly resembled Fetzer physically. Now, in Heather's particular case, and Fetzer's, they both had long, dark hair, weighed around 100 pounds, and were both 5 feet tall. Also, while Below was in the general area around the time of Heather's vanishing, He left Kentucky shortly after she disappeared, and on the same day that Dill committed suicide. Interestingly enough, Dill, Heather, and he shared some acquaintances. Now, although Withall consistently identified Dill as Heather's abductor and not Below, investigators believe that they have some circumstantial evidence which ties Below to the kidnapping. Moreover, They believe in the possibility that Dill and Below may have worked together in the crime of Heather's kidnapping, surmising that one grabbed Teague while the other one drove the getaway car. Authorities also stated that they had determined that Heather, Marvin, Marty Dill, and Chris Below at least had some mutual acquaintances if not having known each other. Some investigators went on to state that they believe there to be a second person in the video taken from the farmer on the day of the disappearance. It was theorized that while Dill was involved, he may have been sitting in his truck while another figure, who was unrecognized by the camera, went through and was ransacking Heather's car. And while this could have been true, there seemed no way to prove it, nor did all investigators agree on this. Some continued to maintain that Dill was the lone perpetrator. Well, despite the circumstantial evidence that they claimed to have had, Below was never charged in connection to Heather's disappearance or any other missing woman for that matter, except for Fetzer. No known concrete evidence was found to tie him definitively to Heather's case or the others. Now here, it's important to note that Sarah strongly believes, and it does appear that, the composite sketch the police had drawn of Heather's abductor from the description of the eyewitness, seems to mix together the appearance of the two main suspects. The sketch in the face is an exact replica down to the shadows of Marty's old driver's license photo. The sketch didn't look how Marty looked on the day of Heather's disappearance, though. The body on the sketch is not Marty's body at all. That more closely resembles that of Christopher Below, before he got tattooed. 
And it is said right after Heather's disappearance, Below left the area of Kentucky and went states away to cover his torso in tattoos. This fight to hear this call that Tim Walthall made. See, when Holly, Chip, and I heard it in 2008, by that time, you know, it had already been established in the public that, you know, Marty Deal had this long, dark, bushy hair, and he had shaved it all off. Okay. Even though that, you know, I've got documents to from other people proving it, whatever. Well, the sketch that came out is identical to Marty Deal's 1994 driver's license when he did have. Listen, it was drawn exactly by his driver's license. It even has a shadow. The artist was so good in detail. He drew a shadow on the side of his face that was on the driver's license picture. Well, this is another thing that you can't doubt that it was God because one day I was I had all the newspaper clippings laid out on my table and on the back of a newspaper you know and the article they were doing this little bitty picture of Marty Deal and see there's several when he was in jail well this one is the one that was used to draw the sketch and when I looked at that closely because I'd already had the composite sketch printed out you know you've got Marty Deal's 94 driver's license face on Chris Bilo's body. Yeah. I mean, that body is Christopher Bilo. There's no doubt. He, he's got this genetic quirk where his left hand turns inward. Okay. But, but the thing that was puzzling with that is that he didn't have a shirt on, and, you know, the guy that took Heather did not have a shirt. Well, Chris Bilo is covered in tattoos, but he wasn't in 1995. He actually went, I, I met his dad and his stepsister, and they let me know that the night Marty was killed, I guess Chris and Marty you know, knew each other. Um, I know they were in first grade together. I've got pictures of them there. I don't have positive proof that they knew, knew one another after that. But uh, according to Chris's stepsister and his, his real dad, Chris was a frequent visitor of the Ohio River and... Anyway, he went. He left the 26th and went to Georgia and got tattooed. And it's it's of this dark-haired lady on his belly or chest or what. It's just unbelievable. So I have written to Chris Bilo. I've talked to his caseworker. Uh, I sent pictures of Heather to the jail. He's supposed to get out. In fact, he may be out. He may be out in a halfway house. I need to talk to James, his dad. He was supposed to get out April the 21st of 2021, so he, he may be out already. I told you this thing had a ton of curves and more rabbit holes that you could check a stick at. Just to catch you up to date and make sure that we're on the same page. This sketch... Of the abductor of Heather Danielle Teague on August 26, 1995. This sketch is a composite of two people. Two people made into one artist's rendition. It's a composite of Dill and Below. Who would do that? Who would give that kind of information to a sketch artist who is trying to get out some kind of a picture, some kind of a resemblance of the person that was responsible for abducting this young girl. Well, obviously, it's, it's somebody with something to hide. And who has things to hide? Well, that would be just about all of us. But in this particular case, it would be somebody who didn't want other people to know something. Well, what would it be that they didn't want them to know? And why do people hide things to begin with? Well, it's because they don't want to get caught doing something, whatever it may be. Whether their hands were in a cookie jar or some other kind of jar. You see, it's widely believed that Heather Teague had turned confidential informant. And she had amassed enough information, not just to put the people that we assume are the bad guys away, but maybe some of the ones that we also consider to be the good guys 
Well, like I said, the ones that we consider to be the good guys. Sarah Teague said that Heather had been withdrawn and wanted to be by herself. She said the last time that she'd seen her was just days before the disappearance, and at that time, Heather seemed angry and frustrated, and she didn't know why. Well, Heather's ex-boyfriend said during that time that Heather Teague's personal problems had no relationship to her disappearance. Well, the boyfriend, named Ricky, accused Heather's mom of harassing him and messing with his mail. Newspapers from that time also said that the police believed Heather's mom to be harassing Dill's wife. Her name was Tracy. Well, Sarah believes that she, Tracy, was hiding information by refusing to talk to anyone. But anyway, the, the state trooper that allowed us to hear the call, when we were sitting there, my attorney said, uh, he says, something's wrong here. Something is really, really wrong. And uh, Sergeant Pagan said, uh, if I said what I thought, he said I wouldn't have a job. Three months later, he didn't. He was head detective. He was sergeant over all the detectives. Three months later, he messages me. Actually, it was uh, uh, near the anniversary, and he said uh, he he'd promised me. He said before the anniversary this year, he said there's some things I'm I am going to check up. I'm going to do nothing but Heather. He went in to get that permission, and. He was absolutely demoted from being head of all the sergeants, all the detectives, down to road patrol in Owensboro, where he lives. He got demoted, so he took an early retirement. So what does that tell you? In 2007... Sarah had Heather declared legally dead to fulfill the requirements for obtaining the FBI's investigation file on her daughter's case. Now, there were hundreds of pages of reports, leads, and related sources, as you can imagine. Some of it was heavily redacted. However, Teague refuses to give up on the possibility that her daughter may be alive. It was in 2008 when Sarah was allowed by the police to hear the 911 call regarding Heather's disappearance, the one you heard earlier. It wasn't until 2016 that Sarah and her lawyer were allowed to hear it for a second time. It is important to note that 911 calls are a public record. Anyone should be able to obtain the transcripts at the very least. But for some reason, that's not known. She said the police withheld this. In February of 2013, Heather's mother filed a lawsuit against the Kentucky State Police in connection to her daughter's disappearance. She was alleging malfeasance and a cover-up. In 2018, a judge awarded Sarah $24,000 from the Kentucky State Police for withholding the 911 calls from the day Sarah went missing. These calls were requested and denied in 2016, over 20 years after Heather was abducted. KSP was accused by both Sarah and her attorney of discrepancies in the 911 call they listened to in 2008 and another call in 2016. Both featured the voice of the eyewitness, Tim Wathall. Furthermore, Sarah claims that law enforcement put too much focus on the wrong suspect, also failing to follow up on other leads that would have taken the investigation into her daughter's abduction in a different direction. The litigation is pending on this particular matter. During our talk with Sarah Teague, she revealed to us the details surrounding the FBI's involvement and why she believes Heather was taken Jerry Garner is bringing James Hendricks to my home. I had recorders set up everywhere. No. I didn't know. We were sitting at the table, you know, so I had to record right up over uh, Garner's head. Hendricks sat here, and I was here. Holly was, my daughter Holly was with me. And so Hendricks comes in, and, and uh, I said, so, you know, why are y'all here? 
And he said, well, I came to clear up a rumor. He said, I saw your daughter three weeks prior to her abduction, not the night before. Well, I didn't confront him. I didn't tell him that I had already talked to his boss, John Nevels, and John Nevels said it was the night before. I had already told Jerry Gardner. Well, Jerry that day acted like he's as cool and calm, always calm. He acted like a cat on a hot tin roof. He was nervous. He would, like, interrupt Hendrix, and it was just really, really strange the way Jerry Garner was acting, although he's the one that arranged the whole meeting. See, he wanted me to know what was going on. I, I firmly believe he wanted me to know at that time that not only did Hendrix meet Heather three weeks prior that he admitted to, but it was the night before also, meaning that she was with him. You know, for one thing, you don't go from a walk the beat cop in 95 to FBI in 96. No, you don't. And as y'all just heard, he's he's been, he's, I guess he's been asked to step down for sexual harassment. This this just happened um, not, not long ago at all. I mean, he's been, see, he was head of pornography. That's another thing. James Hendricks, when he came to our home, it was February the 18th of 2009. Yeah, 2009. And when I, I kept asking him, so where do you work? And I remember Hendrix uh, or Garner, I don't know, it was like it took a long time before he finally admitted. He said, I'm in Bluegrass, Arkansas. And I said, you know, in what capacity? Well, he was head of porn, pornography division. Well, he got promoted to Washington, D.C. He was a big deal. He was really, but still, head of pornography. I don't know how this is all going to end, but I believe the FBI files, when, when see, I, there was like four files that when I read them, I was automatically just alerted and alarmed because they state plainly, you know, it says Heather's, Heather Teague's abduction is strongly linked to drugs, prostitution, public corruption, and it has strip club in parentheses, not clubs, a strip club. Well, see, Paul Lloyd, the one that got busted with Mike Heron and Eddie Jones, you know, the eyewitnesses attorney, hmm. well, he owned a strip club not far from Madisonville where, you know, I used to live. There's a lot of information. There's like two documents that the names weren't redacted. Like all these files that I got, most of the names are redacted, and that's the way it's supposed to be. If if the person is still alive, whatever you you know, they redact the names. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one one file that talks about. Uh, I mean, it just states Paul Lloyd specifically. Just you know, Paul Lloyd, and of course Holly and I met him and his wife uh, two lab- two or three probably three Labor Days ago now, maybe even four. But I arranged to, we arranged to, to meet. Of course, he knew he was being blamed. For he-, he knew. He knew. And um, when he, I remember when we met at Public Park, and of course, his wife Ginger has a recorder. My daughter Holly has a recorder. Nothing was said that we were both recording the conversation, but he knew, and I knew. But he totally denied ever having known Heather, having met Heather, everything. Just denied it. And we, we know that's not true either. So what the FBI's files say, that Heather's abduction is linked to drugs, prostitution, public corruption. That's, it almost sounds like she knew enough that uh, she was going to come forward. and A lot of people were going to get a lot of grief. Yep, I believe that. Sarah believes that it's possible Heather was a C.I., or confidential informant. She believes Heather had some information that could put a lot of the good old boys in trouble. Some of Heather's acquaintances would even support the fact that Heather was aware of government corruption. They would say in an FBI report that a bald, stocky, older male tried to get Heather and her friends to sell drugs for him. Sarah claims Heather met with a cop the night before her abduction and in the same area. A cop who just a year later would become an FBI agent. This agent, whose name is James Hendricks, would become a strong supporting role to those in charge of the cyber division before later becoming special agent-in-chief at the New York Albany field office. 
And when James went on to lead the FBI's field office in Albany, New York in 2018, colleagues described him as a skilled predator who leered at women in the workplace, touched them inappropriately, and asked one to have sex in a conference room, according to a newly released federal report obtained by the Associated Press. He quietly retired last year as a special agent in charge after the Office of Inspector General, the Justice Department's internal watchdog, concluded he sexually harassed eight female subordinates in one of the FBI's most erroneous known cases of sexual misconduct. On February 18, 2009, two FBI agents, one of them being James Hendricks, made a special visit to Sarah Teague's home in Madisonville, Kentucky. You heard her speak about that just a few moments ago. Hendricks was employed by the Henderson Police Office as a beat officer at the time that this happened. We believe the purpose of that visit to the Teague home was twofold. Number one, to persuade Sarah that rumors she had heard of a relationship between her daughter and James Hendricks were false. And number two, to persuade Sarah to accept that there was no connection between her daughter's disappearance and government corruption. But Sarah had already caught that to be false. She said in the interview how she checked with the person above Hendricks at the time and talked about how no report was made of their meetup the day before, even though there should have been. Hendricks is not the only person that has a dark past and a link to Heather, though. Several years ago, a person with ties to the coal industry gave Sarah an important tip They'd seen a book, possibly a notebook or scrapbook or something, containing disturbing information about her daughter's disappearance. Well, you heard Sarah talk about that, too. They said in one of the statements, the book indicated that Heather Teague had confronted a man named Paul Lloyd about underage girls in the club and drugs. The next page of that book contained a photo depicting two men dragging a young woman somewhere. A woman that to this person's knowledge, appeared to be Heather Teague. Well, up until just recently, Sarah assumed the notebook belonged to someone in law enforcement, hopefully someone who maybe had taken the notebook home with them to work on the case after hours. Charles Chucky Collins died a tragic death in the back of a state police cruiser. It's long been rumored that his death was connected to Heather Teague's disappearance. FBI documents state that there were rumors that certain people took pictures, including video, of underage girls having sex with prominent men at rumors. Chucky Collins allegedly acquired one of the videos and determined that certain people that were high up in official levels were depicted as well as other underage girls and prominent men at the bar. Well, that observation made Collins very pissed, and he personally confronted this individual about that. A few days later, Chucky was dead. This same FBI document goes on to state that an autopsy allegedly showed clear and convincing evidence that Collins was severely beaten at some point before his death. Now, this is likely coincidental, but on August 26th, 2005, 10 years to the day after Heather's abduction, Heather's first cousin, Sue Ann Ray from Georgia, disappeared. 10 years to the day. Sue Ann, who was a teenager when her cousin first disappeared, recently sent an email to her aunt just shortly before her own disappearance. In it, she wrote, I'm sure that I can help. I'll do anything I can. I picture this happening in my head, and it doesn't make any sense. Something is definitely wrong. We will bring her home one way or another. Three days later, Sue Ann disappeared. Sue Ann Ray had gone to pick her daughter up on the evening of Friday, August 26, 2005, at her estranged husband's house located on Martin Road. The couple had been involved in a nasty custody battle over their child. She was supposed to take her daughter to cheerleading practice, but she never arrived. Sue Ann was reported missing three days later once her family discovered that she was not answering her cell phone. 
That same day, her van was found abandoned at the Canton Walmart off Riverstone Parkway. Her car had been backed into a parking space at the end of the parking lot. For months, searches were conducted for Sue Ann Ray, but all access was denied to the property, and that property belonged to Quentin Ray's family, Sue Ann's husband. It was about 164 days that went by, and then finally, an informant working with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation led authorities to a shallow grave on adjoining property of the Ray family property, which contained Sue Ann Ray's remains. Before her disappearance, Quentin had threatened her, broke into her home, and killed her dog. It was May 22, 2007, Quentin took a plea deal for the murder in order to avoid the death penalty. He was given two life sentences with the possibility of parole after 20 years. He planned his wife's murder for six months. Quentin also stated that he worked out five of those six months so that he'd be strong enough to carry her body into the woods. It took him about 90 seconds to kill her. As he did so, he said... To her, you can fight, but it won't do you no good. He then placed his arm around her neck and pulled every time she let out a breath. He had dug her grave five months before her death and said he had no regrets. Quentin's dad, Daniel, was charged with hindering the apprehension of a suspect and was sentenced to five years probation. Investigators said that he helped his son dump his wife's car in a Woodstock shopping center to divert police. As of today... Heather's disappearance remains unsolved. Due to the circumstances involved in her case, foul play is definitely suspected. If she were still alive today, she'd be 49 years old. If you have any information on the abduction of Heather Teague, Sarah Teague asks that you reach out to her personally as she does not trust authorities. Sarah can be reached at area code 270-836-7643 or area code 270-245-2444. Her email is sarah.teague5 at gmail.com. She has vowed to keep all information, including the identity of anyone who speaks to her about this, completely confidential. The only thing she wants is to know where Heather is. You know, this particular episode took a great toll on the staff of the Mountain Mysteries, myself included. But as always does so often happen, we find comfort in places. When I first rolled in to where Sarah lives, I saw a big sign on the outside of her yard that said, Heather is coming home, Matthew 10.26. Now, I wasn't very familiar with that verse. wasn't very familiar with exactly what it meant, so I looked it up. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I offer my sincerest gratitude and humble thanks that Sarah Teague allowed us to tell her beautiful daughter's story. This goes in places where I don't think that we've ever been with any episode. When you come to a crossroads and you can either go left, right, or straight ahead, but all three ways are going to lead to something horrible, which way would you choose? It's when the good guys aren't necessarily the good guys and the bad guys are always the bad guys. Where do you go? What do you do? Her life is for a reason. And, of course, that scripture verse, Matthew ten twenty six. you know, how powerful that has become through all these years, through every... Just all these things that, have, that they've they've hidden, they have gone out of their way to hide the truth, you know, and their own documents. And someday, someday, I, I know without a doubt that we'll not only have her back, but um, I had this this dream one year, and it was of this these big like 
cherry doors, you know, and I busted through these doors. And when I went to Frankfurt, I was like, oh my goodness, these are those doors. Mm -hmm. And inside one of these doors that I went through in my dream, she was lying on a desk and her hair was all hanging down. You know, she was just happy, well, alive, but she was like on this desk. And that just, that just gave me further knowledge that we will have justice someday. You know, I've even told detectives, if you've got a heart behind that badge, you know, you're going to do the right thing here. Well, we had one did, one sergeant that did the right thing, and bless his heart, he was demoted and took an early retirement. But all of that was part of God's plan because he was brave enough, knew he was going to get in trouble, knew he was, but he did it anyway. You were lost in the city when I find the king. You were standing with strangers when I called your name. And I called to your heart just as loud as a train. Cause whenever you're lonely, life feel and I've loved you forever And it's hard to explain Long before Cain and Abel When God made the rain Yes, I've loved you forever From the moment time began When my soul on the earth From the sea to the land Girl, I've loved you both wild and tame With a love all in nature And so unashamed You were alone in the crowd My saving grace When our lips came together And I held your face and I called to your heart In a voice loud and plain Cause whenever you're hurting Life in pain And I've loved you forever And it's hard to explain Long before Cain and Abel God made the rain Yes, I've loved you forever From the moment time began When my soul on the earth From the sea to the land Girl, I've loved you forever Both wild and tame With a love all in And ring. I guess the lines must be down And the mailman is down In this little town And the Pony Express All the horses came up lame But I don't hear from you They're all to blame Yes, I've loved you and it's hard to explain Long before Cain and Abel God made the rain Yes, I've loved you forever From the moment time began When my soul on the earth From the sea to the land Girl, I've loved you forever Both wild with a love all in angel so unashamed Until the next time, I'm Chris Lone. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy the Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes.
Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Studio Production.